Microphone check, one, two, what is this? It's the five foot seven assassin in the podcast business. I am your host, Rohan Patra, the rap music plug at your service. The rap music plug podcast presented by QLC TV is the remedy to the I don't have anything good to listen to problem. Through in-depth album and song reviews, as well as artist interviews and general rap commentary sprinkled in between on all of what the mainstream and underground rap scenes have to offer, this is your one-stop shop to knowing what to add to your queue, play next, or pop into your record player. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the super-powered team-up the hip-hoposphere has been calling for. That's right. This is the rap music plug. He's our Psylocke. He's slinging blades from his mind. Ro, we've got Roger camo bucket hats as our gambit. Finger gloves, jacket, ready to go. And and I, I am your host. I am your humble nightcrawler of the situation. Uh, this is Dan O. Uh, I represent Free Music Empire. This is this is our Sleep Sinatra Summit uh, that we brought together from the discussion online just uh, after Divine Nation, which is his third release of the year. It is May. It is May. I'm not even sure he's done. I don't think uh, he's done. So thank you for joining me, uh, gentlemen. I, I appreciate taking the time from your day. Appreciate you having us. Yeah. Good to be here. Roger, I'll tell you. Everybody says they want to live in nature until you go on a walk and you come back with six ticks on you. That's not good. Lyme's disease, not a joke. Nature, you're getting dissed. So anyway, uh, Roger, when you... What was your first? Let's go. What was your reaction to Sleep Gloriously when it came out? Did you hear that when it came out? When did it come out? April. You said it. The, April, that the, the, the end of March, year. April. So, March, March, April. March. Well, yeah. I think March. I think March. I, I think you're right. Let me so hear. I heard it. Yeah, I heard it around that time. Um, Sleep Gloriously. I thought my first reaction was I wasn't as enthralled by it as I was by Routes. Um, It seemed um, to meander a little more conceptually. um, And he seemed a little underconfident um, in his vocal approach. But I came to sort of appreciate that he doesn't have the same vocal approach every time he makes an album. And that subtlety is an ignore is a significant strength of his um and that, that sounds like a cop-out but i think in his case it's singularly true that the the subtle variations in how he approaches actually just rocking on the mic um make his albums distinct so sleep gloriously is something i came to appreciate with repeated um listens Mm-hmm. As I just got into the intricacies of his delivery, 
which turned out to be a lot more interesting than, than the previous releases. But initially, I was I was thrown off. I was thrown off and a little disappointed. But that happens with um, artists who put a lot of thought in, into their music. So I'll say that. That's yeah. That's, that's such a great summation. It came out March fifth, by the way, March fifth, mm-hmm. uh, according to his Bandcamp. So I would yeah. I mean, I think that's a, a great description in terms of. I was overwhelmed because it was like peanut butter on peanut butter to me. It was like so much what I like. He has a very soulful voice and Ed glorious is just a King of like tight, those tight sample loops uh, where the people are screaming, you know, just like the high note of the, you can, you can almost see the stacks records artists like sweating, hitting the high note (laughs) and then cutting that frag and just making it go the whole time. Um, so it was like soul on soul for for me. It was it was it was like a warm blanket, and I just fell into it. Um, wh- what was your what was your sleep gloriously take? I feel very similar to what you were how you kind of put it the the soulfulness in Ed's production, and I think that was probably yeah that was that was my first introduction to Ed Glorious actually was that album, and you're right that classy boom bap feel with all the the soulful samples it just played so beautifully because because uh, roger you're making such a good point the sleeps approach i don't think it actually necessarily threw me off but i definitely really noticed how how much more like restrained but it was mainly mm-hmm. like in relation to the content he was just so much more like in like he was all he's always introspective but i think this one was even more than divine nation or routes it was that much more personal and i think he treated it like that he was very delicate and like calm and like precise with everything he was saying and i think it just all like mixed so nicely with the the instrumentals so i i i really liked it i definitely really liked that album it was really strong Mm. the other thing about sleep gloriously and this is true of sleep sinatra and why like i honestly when i was first thought when i was doing this was Oh no, I'm becoming the Sleep Sinatra guy, right? I did the interview with him. I've done like a lot of these reviews on him. Like I'm just like telling everybody to listen to Sleep Sinatra. And then I was like, if I'm the Sleep Sinatra guy, that's not a bad guy to be, you know? Uh, so I, I, I got a chance to sit with him and talk to him about Sleep Gloriously and what I thought it meant, unpack it with him. Uh, and for someone like me who really likes nerding out with albums, getting to the d- deeper context, Sleep is perfect. He, he always gives you little phrases that mean a lot. So I, d- I dug it. Uh, April 17th, Scribes of Tahuti. Yeah. Kennedy Krills came out. I didn't pay much attention to it. I honestly thought it was like a Lucy collection or something leftovers, maybe uh, that he had somewhere. Yeah. I thought it was, it definitely didn't have like the ambitious scope of like divine nation or the, the real, like per like really focused subject matter of sleep gloriously. But I think it was definitely a quality release. I like, it was just, it felt much more like, not only having fun is the right word, but it was just more like, let's make some songs that we sound good together making. And they did like sleep. Like I, I like, I think a song I, I may be writing down that I really liked was crisis fatigue. Uh, just 
just really great display of how amazing his flow is like he is such a master at kind of like being really low key or being a little more energetic and yeah and i like that classic hip-hop feel like that intro that scratching intro oh, oh i love that shit i was like that is beautiful beautifully done yeah no it, it's uh, like the it's you know like everybody's favorite album uh nelly's sweat and suit double disc uh sometimes <laughs> You want to see, you know, you, sometimes you're in the suit and you're ready and you're, you're putting on your best bets. Sometimes you're in your sweats and you're just doing it. And I think nowadays we see more of the different kinds of releases. Some of them being just kind of, I'm going to go nuts over some beats. And some of them being like, this is a journey and I want you to have this journey. So yeah, Tootie felt like getting loose, getting it out of his system for me yeah what 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 did you take on it roger did you hear it when it came out no unfortunately i um slept on this one this one this one missed me in the the flow of things can't catch it all but divine nation drops and that is and he had warned me in the interview he had said look i'm you know i might drop more (laughs) like he's like this isn't this isn't over uh, so a divination came out and I listened to it and I really liked it, but it's, I don't know. It, it's like I was in a monogamous relationship with sleep gloriously. And I was like, that's my album, you know, and <laughs> I kind of stood by that. And then you, you, you were both talking about it and how great it was. And I was like, I'm going to go back to it. And I was just like, damn, there was so much there. So much there. Uh, Ro, talk to me about the production on Divine Nation. Man, the production, like, it was such a shock. Well, not, it wasn't a shock on this album. It was actually a shock on, and I know I'm going to butcher the name. It's like, I think it's like Joaquin Fox. I'm just yep, going to, yep, yep. I literally always say Joaquin Phoenix. Like, it's just so similar. Like, it, it isn't, but it's just, like, terrible to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, the Joaquin Phoenix. I'm like, no, it's, it's not awesome. his name. Uh, his album won't hide the madness. I'm not really remembering how I even stumbled upon. It. I think cause, uh, blood money Perez is on that. So I was like, checked it out and I pre-ordered it, thought it was really dope. And yeah, I listened to that a couple of times. Like, man, the production on this album is just outstanding. It's like exactly what I like. And then I see the Sinai guy who's mm-hmm. produced like half the album or a good chunk of it. And it was only a few days later where it, where it clicked that he was sleep Sinatra. And I just was like, I don't remember the time I've been introduced to a producer who also raps and raps at such a high level to where you would just assume, I just assumed, you know, that guy's a lyricist, you know, he focuses on the rhymes and that's just his thing. And that's totally fine. But to hear he was so realized and he had this such a developed style and it was already this good. And I, now I know that he actually started like making beats was one of his like first things. And he kind of shifted focus to, to rapping, but the production on this album is genuinely one of the best productions of the year for me. Like wow. he has like this, he has like these like warm analog bit reduced kind of tones and like the keys and a lot of the samples that kind of run through that filter that just give it this like, yeah, this really like ambient, like tape hiss kind of feel. And then the drumming, I love the drumming. I love how icy and like sharp and he just like, really just did a lot of things, a lot of detail in it that 
was absolutely phenomenal. And he also like switched things up like the downers. I felt like that one was like a beat that sounded like it should have been on Sleep Gloriously, although it fit like it still worked, but it seemed a bit odd on this album. Um, and then he has like that ridiculous bananas Ezekiel's craft. That's just like Ooh. a just like a psychedelic dream. Um, but yeah, I remember like uh, Sleep Fortitude and Rubble. Those were probably my two favorite beats. Just the that like string mm. sample was just like marvelous on Sleep Fortitude and the the per percussion on Rubble. Like I don't know how to describe it. It's just like skipping towards the end of the bars. Like, like it's just like everything I want in production. It was it was this. So I I was thoroughly impressed. That's awesome, Roger. Did you know? Did you know going in that Sleep produced his own stuff or? Uh, when did you when did you get on on board with sleep? I didn't know um, that there was so much self production on this album until I had heard it once, mm -hmm. and then I noticed that it it might have been Rohan here who pointed that out, um, and that shocked me. But then it didn't because right. there was something about the album that seemed um, consistent, even as it sounded eclectic. And my initial thought was like, wow, who, you know, the various producers were on the same, uh, similar enough wavelength to piece this together. And then they sequenced it really well, somehow communicating across the ether. But then I figured out that um, he, he had a central role in it. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, he knows how to produce for himself. I feel um, as good as he is in picking beats from, you know, really good producers like August Fanon. Yeah. Um, there are times over other producers' beats where I felt his performance could have been a little sharper in, in, in a technical sense, or mm -hmm. he made decisions that were interesting, um, but not necessarily aesthetically the best but on these beats i just felt like he was just in those pockets in a way i hadn't really picked up on before that's just my take on it yeah i i, I told I, I wrote uh when i wrote the review of routes right uh i i you i coined this term dragic flow uh a celebration of goran dragic uh I was like, basically, Goran Dragic is a kind of point guard you can just give the ball to and you're not worried, you know? It's going to take care of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of how I feel about sleep, right? You can hand it to him, you're not worried about it. But on routes, I thought he really kicked it up a notch. The hooks were different, right? And he was getting a little more bluesy with the delivery and stuff like flawed design, uh, you know, all some of these things where he was really working his voice and working the hooks in different ways. And I thought it kind of kicked things up a notch. And I think he's been growing and mm -hmm. learning and getting better and developing. So I can see him learning lessons and getting to divine nation. If that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, it does. And I, I, I feel the same way. His songwriting on this is Go something ahead. that I actually noticed too, was a, uh, was a pretty steady improvement. Like, Sleeps Fortitude, that track again. The oh. hook on that, I think, is the best, the yeah. smoothest, the most catchy mm. thing I've heard him do. And I was like, damn, I think he's really like 
he's really been improving that. I've noticed that as well. So I was I was impressed in that sense as well. Hooks were highly meaningful, highly condensed on this on this effort. They were just very well crafted. I'm glad you talked about how meaningful they were, uh, because you some of these hooks. I mean, you listen to what the hook is about. It's it's really unbelievable how much he can how much he can do. I think uh, one of the what what I was kind of taking notes on was traits that Sleep Sinatra has that I really enjoy. Right, characteristics. The first one I put down was efficiency. Mm-hmm. There's not a word wasted, right? He doesn't have any of these kind of uh, lazy like filler bars, bars yeah. That, that you that you see people repost and be like, "Oh my god, he just rhymed chicken with chicken." What is going? You know what I mean? He's he everything means something, and when you when you grasp it, when it hits you, it's like, "Ooh, uh, yeah." And some of those tracks, they hit me right off the bat with how deep they were. Uh, I, I, I have a, a lyric from my favorite song of the album, The Downers. Uh, he says, hung over our heads like, like it's a thick noose. Kids picking and choosing from either dreaming or getting loose. While America pickpockets our identities alienated labor a false sense of the remedy yeah he hit a lot in that um and it when that song ends it, i i gave like a literal sigh like a whew, we did a lot there you know um yeah he had yeah, a lot so... of lines like that what we say roger I was going to say on on that that set of lines in particular, um, he's able to perform a kind of analysis that doesn't always come across so efficiently um, in hip hop, although hip hop more than other genres tends to tackle it. Um, For me, those lines had to do um, with kind of um, racially specific nature of capital exploitation yep and the class cleavages um that come out of it so when he's talking um about labor he's pointing out that even when you are cast aside as um surplus labor or a superfluous labor force Mm. right after your worth to the american empire has been exhausted in terms of your productivity, the capitalist system still finds a way to extract value from you, even in the realm that most people assume is merely cultural. Mm-hmm. It still becomes a real value right. in the world. And um, other artists in the past have been efficient in pointing this out on Nas's debut. Um, particularly on his verse on Life's a Bitch, which always gets overshadowed by AZs, but is actually a lot more meaningful. We'll get to that later. But um, that was the first time I can remember like that level of analysis um, being executed in rap. 
And it's just really refreshing to hear someone in 2021 take on that level of ambition, but with so little pretense. You could miss this if you're just listening to the song and enjoying it um, for its more obvious qualities. So, so I, that, that, those lines stood out to me as well. That's very, thank you for that analysis. I appreciate that. Ro, what were you going to say? Yeah. No, I was, uh, what I was going to say is that I think he has a really good, like you said, the ending, the pretense. That's what I really like about sleep is that he can get, he's very efficient, like you said, and he just says things in a way that have a lot of deep meaning, but they're also pretty digestible. Like they're, they're not like super heady, complex word choices all the time. And it's not always this really like obtuse thing to where you have to be like an absolute like associate sociologist or something like that to understand. And he also mixes it too with some like nice, clever tongue in cheek. It's not necessarily, I would say funny, but it, it kind of is like the line. I think it's the first line on this whole album is like hail a cab. Like I'm trying to flag a taxi down. Like that's just, that's an earwormer, but it's it still has like a meaning to it. It's just funny in a, in a way. Um, I find like he, you know, you know, because obviously J. Cole's album came out recently, right? And mm. I find like Sleep does what J. Cole or and J. Cole's fans think he does, which is like that common man. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. I was about he to does the stuff. he does that common man. He has that common man role where he he says things in a way that people from various backgrounds can can digest it, can learn. He doesn't do it in a judgmental way either. And he kind of just meets people where they are. And but he's actually saying something very insightful that isn't just surface level. And I find that's where J. Cole, I think, attempts that. But he he doesn't he just doesn't have the knowledge or he doesn't communicate it. I don't know if I'm not going to say he doesn't, but he doesn't communicate it in a way to where I'm like, oh, that that's really interesting. I'm just like, OK, you're saying something that's like nice to hear. It's like, cool. you like agree with me, I guess. But it's not like I'm getting anything from that. Yeah, I, Rohan, I think that's um, sharp. Uh, I think one of the reasons that um, Sleep is successful at this is because while his choice of language is appropriately accessible, what he doesn't delve into are cliches. Some rappers will string together aphorism, bits of folk wisdom, commonly assembled phrases, bumper sticker style slogans. Buster Rhymes does this for whole albums. Yep. Um, yep. Which works when you have like a highly stylized MC like that. It, it, it works. It, it makes the, uh, the songs meaningful. Yep. It, it makes you want to repeat them. When you're talking about MCs that are trying to speak to social realities, like Rohan has pointed out, it could make um, for some really... Um, probably unintentionally shallow um kind of poetry it, it it can result in that but sleep um chooses simple words but does not choose um words that are highly in uh, expected or predictable and that makes an enormous day it's seen it's very subtle to the listeners here but it makes it makes a huge difference when it comes to the meaning of things so good i, I was going to build on uh say everything your explanation roger of those of what that's what that meant the downers but presented in almost a crime writer's efficiency i think mm. 
like crime writers, they really try and explain an entire character in a paragraph, right? Boom, here's this sentence, here's that sentence. And like you're you're in the setting, and now boom, here's the here's the point. So that's that's a good observation because going back to what I was saying about Nas's sort of innovation in this field, the thing that Nas did that was different from everyone before him, instead of just saying the US empire and capitalism is evil because it treats us poorly and reduces us to slavery, he explains concretely the method by which that happens and then demonstrates how that same exact method of hyper exploitation is used when people move from the streets into the music industry into the business of selling music so with sleep it's interesting that you say that the important thing here is that he i don't know if it's his lived experience i i don't know the gentleman um too well you've spoken to him if he hasn't experienced firsthand trying to survive in an underground economy he understands it intimately right yeah and he's able to speak about it plainly um without glorifying it without romanticizing it but talking about how the plight of most working people is beginning to resemble that kind of life or death hustle those kind of compromised choices, those kind of hopelessly bleak scenarios. Yeah. And um, it's really important for rap music to do that because rap music never went through a phase where the majority of the participants doing it ever got comfortable yeah. doing it. It's always been hyper-exploited um, from jump. So there's nothing to recover, right? You got a couple of billionaires who've emerged mm -hmm. in the last couple of years, but most rappers and most of the people that rappers are trying to talk to right now in this world are attempting the grind that sleep describes in minute detail. Yep. And it's, and it's important that there's some rappers who stay true to that. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I've said it before. I think rap music is one of the only places where America openly discusses poverty. Uh, the rest of the time we're kind of trying to not do it. Uh, but so Going back to the smoke, we're going to throw at J. Cole a little bit. He's And I've heard a lot of J. Cole. I've been covering him for years and years and years. I've heard everything. What I would say is whenever you have these hives, right, these internet hives that are, like, completely dedicated to these artists, and when the offseason came out, the hive was like, this puts him above Nas. Like, the offseason, <laughs> now he's better than Nas, right? Uh, and you have to look at that hive and – don't think of them as like sick or deluded. They need something. They're looking for something to follow, a set of yep. characteristics. And I think sleep has what they think Cole has. The, the efficiency that Cole does not have. He does not have the efficiency. You could Google bad J. Cole lyrics. You've got lists for days. It's, it's been rough. Um, but he also has, and this goes into my next personality trait, he's got what I'm calling a Ka-like menace. So Ka always felt to me like, like a tough older uncle who came from some shit and is now wiser and is going to tell you some horrifying stories for a while. Interesting. And that's kind of 
the menace, the distinguished menace that Sleaf brings to a t- track. Someone who used but, to be nefarious, but he now wants to be a better man, but don't test him. The old instincts come up. But with Ka, you can't miss it because Ka really telegraphs that aspect of it. Sure. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that that's not di- uh, disrespectful. I, Ka is, is masterfully good at that. And then he incorporates, you know, the Greek and Old Testament yep. Um, yep. kind of motifs into it. So it, 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 it has this, um, where you, the sense of importance to it, this, this, this sense that you should pay attention to it. Sleep doesn't do it in that way. Sleep nope. does it in, I don't even want to say every man. I don't think it's entirely every man, but there is an understatedness mm-hmm. to it that I think a lot of people would miss, not because I think people are dense, not because I don't think people can connect to this material. I, I just think there's um there's almost there's a tricksterish element here. Mm-hmm. He's sitting you down, maybe he's next to you at the bar, he's gonna rap to you in a real way, and you might be 45 minutes into it until you notice that he's said some things that delve a little bit more deeply into a complex issue than you mm-hmm. expected entered. At least that's how it worked for me. Yeah, no, there's I think there's a direct kind of when you're talking about Ka, right? Street poetry meets samurai. Street poetry meets chess, uh, and and it's understood what's going to happen. And with sleep, it doesn't seem that direct. Uh, what do you what do you think of all this, Rob? Sorry, we've been we've been talking. no, no. I've been I've been just really enjoying. I've been really enjoying the points you guys are making. I I, I see that subtleness too, because I would say. My first real introduction to sleep was not too long ago. It was with routes. And mm-hmm. when I remember listening to it, I remember I went to at least two, three listens before I started to pick up, because especially I had no context on him, really. I know who he collabed with. That's about it. And I was like, exactly. I'm, am I missing something? Because it actually sounds like he really is talking about a lot of stuff that, you know, a lot of like a, a really tough pass, some things he had to do, some decisions he had to make. I know with routes specifically, the thing I always took from it is like, it's a lot about just like difficult decisions and routes you have to take in life. And that doesn't come across because he doesn't like, I think it comes back to like, he doesn't pander because there's like, I'm not saying people, all people do this when they're more direct, but there are rappers who just kind of like throw in aggressively literal and direct street subject matter, just to like, kind of like fill in a box to grab fans and sleep doesn't do that because you can tell he treats that with like with care and he treats that with respect and he doesn't like try to glorify it. And he also doesn't try to like put it in your face as if it like means more or less than what it means. It means exactly how he says it. And he likes to control the narrative. I think of how he's perceived. And like you said before, he avoids the obtuse attempt to kind of um, foreground it in unnecessary abstraction as well and that's mm-hmm. does both of those things that's not easy that's not the it, just on a poetic level we're not talking about simple things at no all. no and and the the that's the key thing is because when you put all this work into all these layers right one of the first things you want to do is get all your credit it's to say look this shit is smart you know uh yeah and he avoids that but look 
But listen, he he's wise to that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he says the black man has been weaponized, deemed ruthless. White liberals want a photo op just to prove shit. He knows That's still the doubters, isn't that, it? Yes, he knows mm-hmm. that the majority of artistic decisions that he make can potentially be co-opted by mm-hmm. this system and turned nope. into a manipulative distortion of what it was intended to convey and that every decision he makes is a different route with a different set of contradictions. This is, in, there's, there's an intentionality here. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't, I actually didn't hear the interview you did with him, um, but I, I'm going to check it out. Um, I don't know if he spoke on how intentional he is about writing his lyrics. A lot of artists will play that off and say, oh, I just wrote it down. I just, I threw it down. You're, I just let the fans say say these things. But I mean, on this album at least, and definitely on routes as well, um, without the Ka sort of telegraph of the themes, he is doing things in a consistent way for us to remark upon the patterns. And um, I respect, I, I have a lot of respect for that. I have a lot of respect for that. One of the things we talked about in the interview was this kind of industry of pain, right? This kind of, and I don't want to call it a UK industry of pain, but some of it is a UK industry of pain where there's like UK rap labels who are putting out like street stuff. And the more painful it is, the more violent it is, the more higher it sells for. They're kind of like goon rappers in fancy sweaters, you know? charging hundreds of dollars so and we talked about it and we talked about like white people listening to street stories and just kind of hunting this pain Mm -hmm. Uh, and i just knew he was the right guy to talk to about that i just i don't know i just knew it and it's an incredible conversation and he was super aware like it was like if you're not acknowledging the person then you're not in this for the right reasons. Yeah, I think that's well said. And it's it, it kind of is a similar concept when people talk about these topics in movies. Like the, the common thing is if all we were done with the slave movies, that's what like a lot of, like I'm not saying it's right or wrong. A lot of people feel that way that are black, feel like we're mm-hmm. they they were kind of we're kind of not towing the right balance here. And it sounds <laughs> like to a lot of people that were just kind of profiting. This is again, becoming an industry of pain and that's like visual too. And it's to a larger scale, I would say in money wise too. So I think again, when we think about these kinds of topics, sleep proves that you can tackle these topics with the respect, but also the nuance, because it is, it is always kind of like a contradiction. It's a, you can, it's not like talking about these things is inherently wrong. It's not in to- like talking about things in a very direct like grime or something like a lot of trap music does this it's just it's all in the details it's all in the framing and i think sleep is a master framer if i can put it that way he knows himself like on a natural level like um this he says stay rising and won't lapse energy of the youth and wisdom of an old cat (laughs) hermes and I just like, how do you, you're the one who gets to sum yourself up in such. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it's because I remember somebody saying like, 
how old is this guy? When they when I had him listen to him, I'm like, I don't know, man. Mm. <laughs> he could be eternal. 28. He could be 45. Right. I don't know. Kind of an eternal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's it's Ro, talk to me about the voice. Because one of one of the traits is the thick, rich soulfulness of him. Uh his voice, his passion and emphasis are soulful. His ear is even more soulful. So well, how do you take the voice? How do you take it on Divine Nation? I think Divine Nation, it's it's really funny you mentioned that because I had a note down because I think it was so subtle, but it I think it really spoke to the intimacy of the record and the rawness. In general, he tends to mix his voice in a way that's like very like sounds like it's very close to the mic. You hear a lot of the I think dis not dissonance. There's that word where you hear the S's on a mic. Anybody knows that word? uh no no one knows it anyways it's a thing it's a common thing and that's why you have the pop filters a lot on mics to kind of reduce that and there's a there's a line on sleep's fortitude i think it's when he says white passing that line whenever he says white passing something (laughs) Mm -hmm. he he almost sounds like he's literally like just like like made that sound right on the mic and it just (laughs) it it did something to me the song is so angelic and so Mm -hmm. sentimental and one of the most like climactic uh, moments in terms of the emotion of it. And that just added such a rawness to it. I think in general, the way he mixes his vocals, though, generally speaking, is it's very, very intimate. It's very calm. So like he, he it sounds like he's barely even raising his voice up an octave. Like, yo, I'm performing now. I'm going to start rap. I'm put on my rapper voice. Sounds like he's just talking, but it's so clear and. I like that feeling. It it it's mm. does something to the messages. It, it kind of makes it feel more genuine, even though it's completely an aesthetic thing. But that's yep. what music is. It's all a series of decisions that lead to something. And I think he does a really great job of that. It, like Hus Kingpin does that, but to a different reason. I feel like it gives that like slickness. Like you, when we did the it's a strut, yeah. right? Yeah. His flow yeah. is a strut. And that's, yeah, he did like that thing. Good, you said yeah. he's whispering mm-hmm. sweet nothings on uh, Portis Huss, and that's exactly, it was perfectly said. Yep. And I feel like he does it for a different reason, and I think it achieves the results it wants to. Totally. Interesting. Before Interesting that. observations there. Oh, I was just going to say, um, yeah, the fact that on that track um, that you mentioned, Rohan, that he was speaking um, in this deceptively plain way, and um, sort of issuing um, the idea of being overdramatic or, or using a lot of flair um, to draw attention to oneself. I thought it was interesting because it sounded like that verse was aimed squarely at logic. If, oh, if, if I, read oh, it I, love, I have that line down. That's a beautiful line. <laughs> Damn. Um, because, you know, he says, you know, um, the comment about white passing and then towards the end of the verse, he mentions... I'm the only Sinatra. Yes. He says I got something the line. About being I got the, the line. It says, so I'm going to keep my logic on a swivel. It's the only Sinatra gaining props that's original. And uh, I thought he was going at Nancy Sinatra. I was like, oh, <laughs> the boots are made for walking. This is a mess. I don't know if he was going directly at logic. I think he was going directly, at least for a good portion of the album. Or not the album, that song on the idea of logic, though. That, yeah. that, that kind of like the white passing all of those ideas of how the, the industry kind of favors certain artists and doesn't, and kind of, again, kind of goes to the hyper exploitation uh, right. themes that he always talks about. The institution of logic. 
Yeah, the institution of the target of. Yeah, because if you look at the problem people have with Logic's bars, it's that he has super simplified, adorable bars, and that he's a so you can kind of put them anywhere, right? You can put them at the end of Rick and Morty, and it's cool. Uh, He, you know, and that's got to get on sleep's nerves. (laughs) He puts so much work into all these things, and. Uh, so that's that's I understand that that's that's there's a heck of a thing and he's but you're right he's so slick that you might not even catch that you know what I mean that that was that this logic thing you might just think he was clowning Frank Sinatra uh, which he was but on the side you know uh, see one of the things that I think makes sleep an important part of 2021 music period. It, you, and we've kind of talked around it. He's self-sufficient while fitting anywhere, right? He lights up guest spots on albums uh, while making his own beats and putting out his own projects with minimal help from others, right? There's no big names on any of his stuff. It's not, it's not even something he desires, I think. Um, he is built, self-built, proudly and the skills he's gained he's gained himself and so he wants to do it himself uh, and there's no there doesn't feel like a lot of compromise in there does that does that make sense yeah, yeah. i think that um, does he says here you go go ahead Ron. no i was saying uh i i agree with that and one of the one of the thoughts that i had uh was that 2021 really put the sleep Sinatra brand at a new level because now when I see featuring sleep Sinatra on someone else's song, it gives me that feeling that all the great artists, all the ones that I have very high confidence in, it's like, Oh, not only do I think the song's going to be like legit good, but it legitimizes the artist too. Um, I don't have an example on the top of my head, but uh, if I hear an artist has featuring sleep Sinatra, I'm like, Oh, Oh, this artist must be pretty dope. Like sleep doesn't just throw out verses for money. Like he does it for right. artists that he fucks with. And then simultaneously, and it happened with Teller Banks actually, because I saw him on routes and Ooh. then I heard him on sleep gloriously and he killed both his features. Yep. And then that made me think that kind of at, he has that uh, effect on his features on his albums where I'm like, Oh, Teller Banks must be someone I should check out. And I did. And I was impressed. <laughs> he has the, especially that project with Ed glorious. I love that one. Oh, and yeah. I think yeah. that is not, again, I'm new at least to tw- end of 2020, start of 2021 to him, but I already see that growth. I already see that journey. And I think he's really kind of solidifying himself in this year. Definitely. What were you going to say, Roger? Oh, I was going to say regarding self-sufficiency, I feel that on this album, that concept um, is uh tied to a class imperative so on rubble he says uh we the answer and he's talking about the the lumpenized uh working class that's been pushed out of legitimate work um and has had to make um decisions that the mainstream society considers immoral Mm -hmm. just to eat he says i've been i've I've been chiseling with these mouths to feed um and chiseling is a very intriguing way of describing um making music 
yep. Um, yep. for a living. Um, it's not the typical um, analogy that rappers would drop, but in his sense, it makes sense. And then um, back to Technicolor. When your brain's a commodity, they want a piece of intellectual property. Guard your ideas, stay rooted in sovereignty. So rappers before him had figured out that there's a hyper exploitation that occurs as you go from the streets into the studio. But rappers in the past have kind of chalked that up to the way that things are, that that's a current system-wide phenomena and it's here to stay with us for a while. Um, in tracks like Rubble and Technicolor, Sleep is describing the situation as all of that is on the decline, right? Kind of like how, uh, you know, you had um, that Fondalone raucous era of rappers that uh, forecast an imminent apocalypse of right. that exploitative industry and um, anticipated um, the ability to be independent um, in its wake. And Sleep seems like he's talking about what actually happened after it actually eventually did implode upon itself and what um, the sort of emerging contradictions are now. It's a, it's a very current record in that way. It's very attuned to what's going on in the moment. I mean, it, 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 to build off that, I was just listening today. He has an album called No Anthems, and it is dedicated to Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. And specifically, because Mahmoud Abdul Rauf was one of the best and was blackballed from the NBA in 96-ish uh, mm -hmm. for refusing to stand for the anthem. And Rauf is on the cover, like like praying, uh, and I mean you can really feel the connection there. The sleep is like I'm not moving from this spot. I don't care what it costs me. Uh, so he, I, at first I didn't think he wanted to be big. I thought he was like fine being underground and just doing his thing. But when I heard routes and I heard how big the songs got. Mm. I thought he might he might have some designs on building up, and now I think he's at a little bit of a crossroads with that. That's an interesting point. Uh, I I'm not positive again, uh, as someone who can't say I've listened to all of his music, but I noticed one thing that was interesting. Maybe it's because he again produced it all, but that dreamscape. Uh, that dreamscape tag he kept putting. I found that very interesting. It found it yep. felt like a, it was on, I think almost every song. And yep. I found that interesting because it sounds like he's building something. And one way to do it is branding. And yep. even when I remember speaking to it, I know some other uh, previous collaborators, they were using that term. Well, I mean, not that term, but saying dreamscape, that group, that collective. And, and I think I find that very interesting because I, I take that line that you mentioned just a moment ago, Roger, about chiseling with these mouths to feed, like mm -hmm. chiseling again, it's a good word because I think he's trying to say that it is imperative. And he's the way, like, he's kind of saying like, I'm sharpening my sword. I'm getting better at producing. I'm getting even better at rapping I'm getting better at creating these albums. Uh, I'm doing that to, I'm doing that. And I'm, that's how I'm going to survive. 
Like that's going to be my way. And I think he's, it almost comes off like a duty. It's like, he's doing it for his kids or something. Obviously doing it for the passion, but there's something in there in what I just said that I find is really powerful because yeah. it, it definitely speaks to like the struggle right now in independent music and trying to actually make it without completely just selling your soul or trying to cop out the art to just make a hit and get a bullshit label deal. I think it's because and, and the chiseling is really important because this is an entire landscape of self-sufficient artists who have no labels to help them, no, no real industry to develop them, who are doing a lot of it themselves, right? Teller Banks produces but himself. Like there's a lot of these guys who are producing their own stuff who are circulating with the, with their, you know, click or people they know on social media and are developing their own music and their own brand. There's so many of them. It's hard to break out. It's chisel. You're, you got to chisel away to get your own piece of it, you know? Uh, and I think that's one of the things that I saw as like, if I was going to say the next level, the next challenge for him is, Sleep Sinatra with his consistency. He doesn't really do singles or standout anthems that define him. Uh, it's slow burn, and some people don't learn that way or love artists that way. Kendrick had the same problem, right? Kendrick early on, he had everything everybody wanted except these kind of lead singles that would mm -hmm. pull people in. And I think that's probably the next challenge for him because that's Sleep Gloriously is a cohesive package. It doesn't have a song that stands above the other songs. Do you think that's something that do you think that's something that he wants? Like like based on your read on him? Because I I don't know, because I I'm a person, again, I don't think I'm the majority here. I think I'm the minority where an album that if I had to choose between 12 track album where three of the tracks are like legit amazing classics and then the nine are just like kind of mid or just like, you know, decent mm -hmm. versus an album where it's 12, 12 songs and most of them are pretty like they're, they're definitely good to really good and it flows well. I almost always want that. I almost always want I, I I'm so allergic to listening to singles now. It's just, you. it's my least enjoyable thing. If someone said, oh, you check out my music. It's like, if you don't have even an EP, I'm almost like, I'm like, you have to be special for me to care. And I, I don't know if maybe that's something he even wants. And, and, and I'm curious to see where that goes. Cause singles, people do singles still, even in the underground. And it, I think it works to varying degrees, but I, I'm curious to see if maybe the, the listener of in this space, maybe is more like i don't maybe i'm not as much a minority in this kind of realm of listeners in the I general i know i am but i don't think you are i mean in general yeah but I, I think yeah and i am an album guy through and through i don't know if he wants that or not right i think he's teased in both directions a little bit and whatever he wants to do i want him to do that right if he wants to just be like album guy making it his way 100 percent, but a big song that what it, what it can do is kind of like a slogan. It can sum up your agenda in one song. Right. Uh, and 
you know, if he wants that, that would, that would open the door to new people. But honestly, that might be an old model that I'm talking about, right? Uh, nowadays, you just keep, you keep releasing and eventually you hit, you know, I don't know. I don't know if Freddie Gibbs had a big single, right? He just kind of kept going. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think he had any. I think obviously Pinata is the one that broke him to the, the masses, yeah. but that's an album. And yeah. he had some singles like Duggan that were really successful, but it was again, the album that solidified it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good point. I'm not sure. So Raj, what do you think? Are you, are you, do you think he's settled into this mold or do you think there is a temptation to, to go broader? There could be, I don't know if it can answer that. What I would say is based on what we understand about this album, um, there's an awareness that every decision um, puts you across a threshold where a new set of contradictions emerges. And the chiseling metaphor works to that because you can tell um, by the way that he describes his upbringing and his experiences in life that he is talking about emerging as a man into this world out of humble origins, mm-hmm. right? The rubble yep. of, of late capitalist America. But then he talks about chiseling and chiseling is a process that creates rubble. So mm-hmm. is the point of chiseling to fashion something coherent, digestible and marketable um, to make a claim that, that your labor has some sort of value or is chiseling the creation of a new set of conditions in which you can thrive according to your own volition without being um, destroyed um, by the same process that you've been resisting the whole time? Is it creating a new set of rubble in which you can actually hide in this uncertain landscape? Like, um, I think he's asking. That question, I, I don't, I get the sense of someone who realizes that, you know, when you're good at what you're doing, there's going to be expectations that you expand upon it, that you refine it, that you bring it to a larger audience. And he's also aware of the destructive possibility of going through that process and and, and the, the soul crushing yep. possibility of this becoming a job, of, of um, it being dictated by someone else's will. Right. And, 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 and there's a certain wariness of that, too. So I, th- I think those things are all at play. And I think that's what makes this album special. Um, it's just been a long time since someone has devoted this much effort <laughs> to these themes in, in, in this plain, um, accessible, but still complex kind of way. It just it just doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, no, it's, it's a that's a great way of describing you either eat or you're on the menu, you know, like that's, yep. and, it, and I think it, the cycle is there, right. The cycle of like, you know, you cause this destruction, but if you don't, you're, you're destroyed, you know? Uh, and I think that that's part of the cycle is laid out here, but you're right. In some sense, it kind of feels like uh, a conversation he's had with you throughout these songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think what we're talking about here, if we're dis- we're trying to like determine like where we think he's gonna go, I think it's largely based on a conversation that I always have internally 
and I've been having for the better part of the last year, especially as I feel like since the pandemic, I've gone, I was always into like a lot of underground rap, but it's been just like exponentially more into the scene now. I'm very curious to see in the future in five years from now, will we get a more fragmented or siloed hip hop landscape where the underground is really focused on like just being self-sufficient. They're not worried about like to these ideas of trying to make the anthem, trying to not necessarily cross over as a kind of an outdated term either, but just trying to push to have an expanded audience that's at a larger scale than most underground artists and then let the mainstream guys do their thing. Or are we going to move to a hip hop landscape where it's a lot, the lines are blurred to where, and I, cause I kind of see both things happening. I feel like people like sleep and a lot of these artists that are in this kind of signal to me that they're not, they're trying to make a new model where self-sufficiency, just building on your fan base. Like you may not be driving in Benz and Bentleys, but you'll be making living comfortably. But then I also see a lot of evidence of the other, where you see, artists like maybe he's still very popular but like navy blue like i found he's a he's an odd one because he just seems to be there seems to be a lot of artists that that seem to be crossing over in terms of the the high level mainstream almost underground and then the actual underground there seems to be very little blur akai solo and navy blue i think that's a good example up until recently akai solo I don't think had that profile that Navy Blue has, but they just make an album and that kind of thing seems to be happening. So I'm curious to know if that, if those lines will blur or it'll go in the other direction. I think both things are happening and I'm not sure which one will emerge. It does feel like a second economy, right? Like uh, Young Thug and Sleep Sinatra don't seem to be on the same planet together. Uh, It's, it, that's just how it is where, yeah, it's a, it's a second economy, but it, and thinking about like word of mouth and how word of mouth has elevated through the underground, like Billy Woods has been putting out albums for a long time. And people like, I wasn't aware of, a lot of people weren't aware of, but there was a word of mouth movement that came about of like, you got to hear this shit. This guy's amazing. Um, and maybe maybe that happens for Sleep Sinatra. I, I hope so. It's it's he's in Nebraska and he's not in New York, and I think that works against. I I, I think regions still are a thing, right? And if you're in New York or LA, you've got more footing. Um, just just how it works. But I don't know. It's uh, yeah, but there's. There's a lot, I mean, it's the production wise, I wanted to say production wise, the feel for the production for this album for me was that he creates these beautiful sounds and then he like scratches them and breaks them. Mm -hmm. Like he, he'll take a beautiful sample and just as he lets it ride, he'll like kind of skip it, double play it in a weird way, warp it and uh and make it creepy you know uh it kind of feels like keeping you awake you know like don't get comfortable boom you know um and there's a lot of that purposefully like not i don't want to say not pleasing but not pop right purposefully experimental sounds Mm -hmm. 
And it's a really interesting mix to have a lyricist like that and a producer like that, like a producer, a producer sound like that. I, I really don't have many artists that come to mind. Like Earl Sweatshirt is like the only one that's like, like when I think of like a premier lyricist in my mind, but has such a eccentric, because there's, there's a bunch of rappers that are very good producers and there's like too many to name now, but there's very few that are really supremely good lyricists that really push the boundaries producer-wise. That's not something that I find is very common. Because even people like, um, like I'm trying to think of some, even some like mainstream examples, like, like again, like J. Cole we mentioned, I actually like a good amount of the beats, but I never, even when they're good, they're, they're so safe. They're so like, oh yeah, like he's just making a hip hop beat to match the raps he's going to do. Whereas this kind of producer rapper is, I'm making a beat that's like challenging, that's pushing the boundary of something that is really intentional, that has like a life of its own. Like if this was a beat tape, I would love this. Mm-hmm. I could never say that about 90% of producer rappers. Navy Blue, like they have an identity. I guess that's where they have an identity as a producer, whereas a bunch of rappers just produce decently well. That's the key difference. Yeah, no, I, I think I first became aware of that, like that there's a lot of great rappers who are also great producers during the mixtape era, right? Cole produced the warm up and all these, the mixtapes he was doing and they were good. Big Crit. Big Crit's really yeah. great stuff uh, with producing his own stuff. And there was just a whole class of people like, you know, and you're like, wow, he produced it too? Like, uh, I just kept just having to say that over and over again. <laughs> like, uh, so this is an era of that, but amidst that, he's, because the first Sleep album I heard was Sleeper Effect. Um, and my favorite song on it is number seven, I think, uh, On Earth As It Is, which is a great song and a great sample, but it's very like, he pulled the sample, he, he, made, it, he made it work and made the track. This feels like him playing and, and experimenting with how he can do it more. And it fits what he's trying to do lyrically with, you know, the simplicity versus the depth uh, in an interesting way. So, Roger, is Divine Nation better than Sleep Gloriously for you? Yes. Yes, it's, it's a more successfully um, realized um, at the lyrical level, and I find it more interesting. Um, to listen to and th- that's without without denigrating the other album sure I, ju- I, I just find it to be more successful um and just it, it's it's more in the moment for me in right. terms of its social relevance if <laughs> i know that sounds weird because they're both very recently released but for me no, it think- just what he said just resonates so specifically with what i think is going on in the world um I just I just have to give it uh, to that, but uh, both both fine projects, both fine projects. I think Sleep Gloriously is a little more personal, you know, with Judith and with Agreed. these Agreed. songs about relationships with friends, and it's a little more like of him talking about where he is and how he's developed. Um, and this one is Sleep, kind of telling you about the world, um, and so it's it's why. I think Sleep Gloriously is still my favorite. I, I, I love that personal journey 
I love uh, Ed Glorious's production, but this one's climbing. It's really good because it's really fun to have all of his wits at use, like just pulling everything apart and putting them back together. So, yeah, what, what do you think, bro? I think definitely this is my favorite out of the two. And I think it's the favorite period that I've heard. Mm. I think the, there's a brevity and a leanness to this album that I think even on routes, I feel like I remember thinking that like I reviewed it as well, where I thought like, you know, just simple things. Like sometimes I'm like the beat, this beat could have just like, didn't need to loop for 30, 40 and minute after the, the last verse. I thought one thing he did amazingly well here is that the hooks were better, but they were also um, as needed. Like he didn't add more than there needed to be. I felt like routes, although the the hooks were very meaningful, they, they sometimes like, I just didn't think, I think he could have just cut the, the, the hook and just kept the verse, add another verse or kept only the verses and it would have just hit harder. And production is just this is very much up my alley in the type of experimentation but with like the knocking drums all of the like the tones that i described are just like really something i've been really liking my ears been loving recently and i think the it's 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 close but it's also but i think i'm very confident to say i like divine nation too and one thing we didn't mention quickly on that album is that the title divine nation Mm. like a nation one nation under god like these are things i'm not american but I know that's how people talk about American. I think there are a bunch of like slogans that go to say something. So divine nation and the fact that he's very much unlike sleep gloriously, he's looking a lot more outwardly. Mm-hmm. I liked that. I liked that feeling. And I like how his production kind of brings you into a world. It's like an alternate look into the same America through his like cool trippy production, psychedelic production and his very distinct point of view. Yep. The um, is there anybody if we if we had our pick for which uh, what underground rap producer we'd want him to work with? Do we have do we have any that would be best for him? Well, that that's really tough. Just to produce, just to produce, no no other help. Just to yeah, produce just the beats. Like, just a full album with Alchemist, you know, or whatever. Like okay, we're including like including like. Uh, underground A-listers who like authors. Okay. Damn. It's a good question. Obliv. Ooh, oh, that's good because he can go so many places. I think it would challenge him in this sense that Obliv makes songs that could legitimately be R&B bangers mm-hmm. from 1995. But right, right. But it has that kind of nighttime flavor to it. Kind of there's there's a swankness even when it gets dirty, even when it's deliberately distorted to sound almost like you know you're tuning a, a clock radio <laughs> or something. It's still there's this certain sparkle and element to it, and I think that would challenge Sleep um, to talk about the contradictions that he does. Um, in a manner that he hasn't quite yet attempted. Right. I, I, that's just my sense of it. I think that's a fantastic point. That's a great pick. I was, 
I was thinking maybe like um, Exile or Odyssey or or Black Milk hmm. or somebody like that. Some like uh, Exile can do really bright, sunny, like kind of standing at the top of a mountain, soulful beats, and and I think Sleep would make those a little more sinister and bring some darkness to. It. I think that would be fun contrast. <laughs> yeah. True. I think for me, I think for me, my pick, I really like Oblive. I think that one's like a, that one was like a really it's good a one. Pick. So I, I don't know if I can beat that one, but in the spirit of trying to like think of something that would be a great mix, but would also kind of be different for what Sleep's put out. Mm-hmm. I think something like, something like Preservation. Ooh, like I'm just thinking of like a, like I'm taking, and I'm thinking of his beats that are particularly on the, the more free a lot of space, a lot of more like like free jazz feel like he what like what he did on brass. Like that's a perfect example because I don't think we've seen sleep operate without often without like a some form of like a somewhat traditional or at least like a groove. Preservation really just kind of like is like just like these fluid beats, free form. I'm not sure how that would actually sound. But I, again, I trust Sleep that he could pull that oh, off. Yeah. And I feel like oh, that yeah. would just be really interesting. Like, I don't really know if that's the best no, combination, think, but it would be that. so intriguing to me. Yeah. It would be so intriguing to me. Such a good call. I feel like I have the weakest pick of the three. That's awesome. Like, you guys are killing it. Um, I would say the, the last thing I would, I would talk about in terms of Sleep and his imprint in 2021, when we're talking about albums and how important albums are, is the replay value. The replay value when you've when you've heard an album and loved it more and more each time and you've heard it six seven times, it's the relationship's different. The relationship you have with it is different. And sleep, I don't know how he does it, but he finds these grooves. He finds these stash spots for important ideas that you don't find until the third or fourth listen. So what hit me about this album was that in this weird ass global virtual disconnected age, I managed in real time to develop some memories about replaying this album. And actually I was chatting with Rohan like in the middle of the night on Twitter saying, I I just listened to this for the third time. I've just, you know, this, this, Rohan's like young enough to be my son. Right, I, I just want right. to put it out there. I just want to, I just want to show you what kind of bridges That's we're building here. So I say that to say that I'm from the era where we used to knock shit like this that was new and exciting in the Jeep. Yep. We used to have it on, on the box, on, on the basketball courts, the handball courts. Mm-hmm. It, it'd be playing at the bodega, right? right. Like this is the, the experience of being part of a of a phenomenon around an album and it's not something that occurs very frequently anymore we all know the reasons why we don't have to over intellectualize it sure but this album because of the qualities that you described daniel um it rewarding multiple listens but also being just cleverly enticing enough to draw you in to that process allowed me to experience this kind of thing in a modern form, but reminiscent enough 
Um, and not everyone's going to be able to pull that off now. And it, it says something uh, about the album. Yeah, no, I think when you talk about remnis, reminiscent of, of the way things were, I think Crate 808 podcast just had a great crossover episode with the uh, Call Out Culture podcast about J. Rue the Damager, the sun sets in the east or rises in the east. Uh, and that's like a classic album. That's a... Some people know it's a classic album. Mm-hmm. You know, Uh the, the dude who did the boondocks is like come cleans the best beat of all time and we're like we're connected uh <laughs> but like so we would just live i, I just lived listening to jay rude the damager but no one <laughs> knew who he was and no i could never get anybody to care but like that would that was my guy because i just lived in that album and i could live in it it was it was great to live in and this definitely feels like that like a weird hit yep. classic Kind of thing, yeah. So yeah. that's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Epic replay value. How has the replay value mm-hmm. been for you, Ro? Very high. I've been weird. It's been weird. The last two three weeks, this album's been out for two three weeks. I think mm-hmm. I've just only ran back albums that I've listened to like ten plus times. It's been a weird Akai solo Navy Blue. Yep. I've listened to that like ten plus times. I listened to, uh, I don't know if you guys are, I know of $2 Will and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Iceberg Theory, Butte yep. Chips. Yep. I just fucking love it. And mm. they're so, it's vastly different. That album I played, like, I'm not even joking. Like, I think 10 times in like three days, I've been so stressed and it's just been beautiful to kind of keep me sane. And yeah, I've just been in a mode where I've just been playing music back. I've not been, I've, I think it's because I've been really busy. Whatever I've got my hands on, I've been like, all right, I hope you're good. And I'm just going to keep playing because I don't have time to look for anything else. And is the replay value on this was very rewarding and a lot of that had to do with the production which is not usually uh even though i've liked the production obviously fanon at glorious but this one really drew me because i was so enticed by the the instrumentals on this it's so up my alley so like consistent with my preferences in music there's a lot to chew on in the details yeah now if anybody's looking for this two dollar will uh, iceberg theory butte chips uh it, it's this it, it, iceberg told me think action bronson from a red state and, <laughs> like, middle of montana and there's meth addicts and bikers and soccer moms and it's uh it's it's, it's interesting i think it's an album that gets better as it goes along i think yeah you know as it gains steam uh, so I would say be 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 patient and, and get into it. But I mean, by the end, he's he's even sampling some really weird, old, fun stuff. Oh yeah, this is like I think both their best work. Uh, yeah. And two dollars, like one of those guys where I can't really describe what that exact thing is. Like he's very clever, but there's just mm-hmm. something about how he flows that I know and I can guarantee, even for people like me. Because when I first heard him, I was like. I'm not really sure if I like this. I'm not really sure what this is. This seems so awkward and like stupid, but then I'm like, no, it's actually pretty clever. And there's something with that flow. It's like, it's self-aware. It's just like, it's just, he knows how to do that style. It's, it's just very entertaining to me. And to bring it back to divine nation, what's so interesting about it is in order for an album to have replay value, you have to be able to get comfortable in it. And somehow 
you're you can get comfortable in divine nation even though it has j- jagged sounds and hard topics of discussion um the ease and humanity in which he addresses the audience is makes it warm when it shouldn't be warm in in a way does that make sense no no it does it really does. I also think the pretty nature of some of the samples, like it's very jagged in like the, mm-hmm. the drums and the patterns and the glitchiness, but the, a lot of the production like sample wise, otherwise the keys super pretty again, really warped. And there's always something off about it, but it's something really pretty and, and just like eclectic. And like, I feel like I can see synesthesia. I can like see the mm-hmm. album. It's very bright yep. uh, when I hear it. Yep. No, it, it, I was when you were saying, bro, it's like it just fits all of my tastes. That's how I feel about a lot of what sleep does. It's just, it seems like it's tailored for me. I described him when I did the interview and I said, uh, a mixture of Gil Scott Heron and AZ. Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. I like how Gil, Gil got social when, like, when he talked about politics and, and he, I, I was, you know, because there was always a real warm humanity in Gil Scott Heron where he, he cared about everybody involved in the story. Uh, and I think, I think he has that uh, in, in what he does. So I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't want him to be my pocket artist. Who's like the guy I know uh, is good. I want everyone to know sleep Sinatra, to be honest. I think if, if a lot of the people out there heard him, they would not necessarily get smarter, but feel more empathy for people. I think it's the empathy. He, he even yeah. tweeted it once where he said something like, uh, I'm going to, I'm not going to try to paraphrase, but he just basically said something along the lines of like you, uh, how are you basically like trying to be, you know, like on the right side of history, trying to be someone who's quote unquote doing the right thing. But, you judge all of these people who come from these backgrounds that you support supposedly empathize with and you just judge them on like some of the beliefs they may have when you simultaneously are ignoring all of the conditions to which, yeah, you know, maybe that wasn't something that they were exposed to and all of that. I think he has a very real way to cultivate empathy that doesn't feel bumper sticker, doesn't feel like love yours, love yourself. Like it seems very rooted in a reality that's, that's calculated and, and understood. And genuine. It feels like him rebuilding himself into a peaceful person when he's not naturally a peaceful person. Uh, like when, when people at work will say, oh, Dan, you're so nice. And I'm like, I'm actually a dickhead who's doing a really good job of being nice. Like that's I'm working really hard because I don't like that. I'm not nice. <laughs> so I feel like there's a little of that with sleep where he's like, he's not naturally peaceful or, uh, you know, not aggressive. Uh, so he's trying to be, he's trying to be the person and his kids are a big part of his rhymes and his discussion. It's a big, it's a point of communication. Like I've got to be this so I can teach my children how they should be. Uh, parenthood is a very important part of his his moral identity but his uh intellectual identity i think 
it, it feeds a lot of his thought process uh, on these issues. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think you said that well. Good deal. Any other, any other thoughts, Roger? Are we uh, on this? Yeah, I think um, Sleep Sinatra, I think, I think he will um, find the audience that, that he's seeking. I think that um, it's a very clever balance um, of ideas and approaches. Um, and he, um, as distinct as he is, he also represents something in this moment that is starting to cohere perhaps slowly. Um, as a movement, um, I think um, the focus on, on, on the class imperative and um, the five percenter references that are used just sparingly enough to not become didactic. Right. Um, divine nation, that's out of the supreme alphabet right um but it's also two very commonly understood words in english right sure. um he he signals in a way that's similar to someone like jerry the damager yep. um which to me suggests that there is an audience similarly broad um for him to tap into and he's interested in figuring out the method to do that because he describes it in detail on his songs so we'll we'll, we'll see We'll see. Yeah, no, it's because I think it's important to keep in mind that rap fans are not dumb. There are dumb rap fans, but there are, <laughs> there's a large percentage of rap fans who really do pursue complexity and like lyricism and meaning. And there's a lot, yeah. Sleep has a lot of friends because they all know he's great. You know what I mean? Uh, they all know he's really gifted. So I don't know anybody who's familiar with his work who doesn't like his work. It's just right. getting people to know his work, you know, uh, yeah. which is not the worst problem to have, you know? No, there's a lot of possibility in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of possibility in it. There's a lot of people who people are very familiar with their work and they're like, I don't like you and I don't think you're good. You know, <laughs> that's, that's much worse. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, there's possibilities and 2021 has really sparked possibilities for him. I'm glad he's doing, every, everybody kind of does this year now where they release a lot in one year to really solidify who they are. Iceberg Theory did this, I think mm -hmm. last year. Uh, there's just a lot of people trying to really put their name down. This seems like his year for that. Um, and I love it. I'm, I'm here for it. So, um, any, any parting wisdom shots, Ro, you say something mean about somebody you want to do? Say something mean about somebody. Uh, I don't have anything mean to say. Cool. I was going to throw a shot at logic, but I don't, I don't. He's, he's got fine. enough. He's, he's got, got, he's got enough. He's got yep. enough shots. Uh, <laughs> 
I know we usually do. I don't know if it's on the state of the game. We do oh, those recommendations at the end. Recommendations? Let's do recommendations. Yeah, I was going to, because I actually finally had one prepared. Uh, oh. The album right in my background, Cities of Eve, Crashing Sound of I How It Goes. Cool. Just reviewed that one. One of the best the albums of the year. Just genuinely, just mind-blowing. I don't even want to say more. And then the other album I also just reviewed, but it's it's really, really interesting. And I think if you like this album's production, it's not it's not that similar, but the, the percussion is Wiki and Nas, Telephone Booth. That's an album. Yeah, that was another album I've listened to like 15 times. It's also very short. Right. And I just can't get enough of just constantly replaying it. And it yep. uncovers some grimy detail. And just like, I love Wiki. I feel like I love Wiki more than a lot of people because it's not like there's one thing he's not like this the best lyricist he's not the most the best flow but there's just something so raw and gritty that i really i really get something for so highly recommend that album. i'm with that the uh my, my recommendation because i and i told roger before we got on that uh, i'm hoping i had a scheduled interview with doof so i'm very excited to talk to doof and my recommendation will be doof and gray matter radioactive spinach uh, Doof has this kind of uh, X Factor madcap energy. Um, he feels like the supervillain that the superhero can never predict the next movement. <laughs> um, and I think that that's that's something rap always needs. Rap always needs somebody who's who's just doing whatever they want, you know. Um, and exploring the space and over the gray matter production, I think lyrically that's his best. It's great. Um, no, be my thing. Roger, anything you want to recommend? Um, I echo um, a Kai Solo's latest. Um, Kai Solo's just bugged, um, but it's always a satisfying listen. It's not. It's not simple. It's not. It's not for everyone. Um, but then it kind of is. So. I suggest everyone check value. that out. Um, the replay oh, value is yeah. unbelievable. And works well with Navy Blues production in a way I wouldn't necessarily have anticipated. Um, I, I just, I, I love the feel of the album. And then um, this one isn't one I hear um, a lot about, but it's uh, Snagglepuss, uh, Bronx Dundee. Snagglepuss is a rapper from the 90s who used to be on mixtapes. Um, has a kind of cartoonish sounding voice was kind of thought of as like either underground or a gimmick, but he uh, was incarcerated for a while, came back, made some more music, puts it out quietly. I think it's with some Australian producers. So there's this weird Australian uh, motif going through it and it's just pure rhyming. It's hilarious witty um a lot of observations about life after prison but mm -hmm. done in this just highly comical punchline almost battle like almost like he's been watching battle rap nonstop since he got That's out awesome um and it's short and the production is all um sounds more legitimately like a like a revival boom bap than others that claim that and and, and right. kind of fall short and I just can't imagine people not being satisfied by it. I'm, I'm actually surprised it's, it, it, it doesn't get mentioned more because it, it nothing about it disappoints. That's awesome. I've got it. I haven't heard that myself. Me neither. I'm check that out. Uh, that's awesome. 
And so, I, and I would say, uh, parting thing, Naomi Campbell, you were always my hero, still are. Have a have and uh, good luck to you on this uh, this new journey. So, thank you, and good night. So this concludes today's episode of the Rap Music Plug podcast presented by QLC TV. I hope this episode gave you some fresh new perspectives on the latest rap releases, as well as a recommendation for the next great rap record to add to your collection. If you're an artist looking to level up your career, getting more gigs, album sales, merch sales, whatever it may be, I would love to help you with that by providing you artist development and writing services. So if you're interested, contact me via email at qlctv.podcast at gmail.com or hit me up via Twitter or Instagram at Rovview, R-O-H-V-I-E-W. I would be honored to lend my expertise and help you grow your career as an artist. And also for regular rap fans that just want to hear more quality commentary on the genre, follow me on Twitter and Instagram as well. For exclusive content and updates related to the show, follow the Rap Music Plug podcast on Facebook to help the show grow and ensure that everyone's listening to the best rap music at all times. Follow the show on the podcast platform of your choice. Make sure you leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts so that the show can be spotlighted by that wonderful algorithm and be exposed to more people. You can find all of this information along with exclusive playlists created by myself by clicking the link that's in the episode's notes. So that's all for today. Talk to you soon. Peace.